I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom now today on the podcast we have a very special guest randy coffin with coffin trout jewelers uh who's here local and randy's has some amazing credibility he's worked in the industry uh, of jewelry and design and craftsmanship for many years and in the podcast we really get into the correlations of construction and customer service and quality and how to communicate with your customers and how to retain them and he offers some amazing business advice which is really important for everyone listening on how you can better your business, your company culture, and retain those customers and how you can build that database even farther. He shared some things that I'm going to apply immediately to my business, so I know there's some great content here. And a little background on Randy. Randy started in the jewelry business as a bench jeweler in 1975. He was inspired to start his jewelry career from an early ex exposure to fine arts and an interest in using his God-given talents to design and create amazing works of art. Randy and his future business partner David Trout met in 1979 and had an instant connection as they noticed the similarities of what they thought jewelry could be. We talk about this, we talk about his journey, and you're going to love this podcast again and how he takes a vision from the client and creates that into reality. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast today, and we are very fortunate to have one of my good friends, Mr. Randy Coffin, who's president of Coffin Trout Jewelers. So welcome, Randy. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it. So Randy and I have been connected for quite some time now and through many mutual circles and we run, you know, with a lot of the same um, colleagues in our profession and outside profession. And that's one of the things that I really love about construction as I get to meet these very interesting people. And Randy has a lot to offer today that's very unique to a lot of the podcasts we've done, but not only from the creativity and craftsmanship of jewelry, but also the customer service and the quality, and there's a lot of similarities between our industries that run between jewelry and construction that we want to dive into. But before we do that, Randy, you know, with you being the expert and something that's always fascinated me, so 
from a company standpoint, you know, how does your firm, how do, how does your staff, how do they become experts in grading a diamond? You know, a lot of it is, Brad, is training. Um, there's different institutions in our country, uh, the main one being the Gymological Institute of America, or the GIA. Uh, they offer all kinds of uh, training to whomever. And uh, a series of courses, tests, a lot of, it's pretty grueling. Uh, and so I'm fortunate enough in my store, I have two CGAs, which means Certified Gemologist Appraisers. It's a lot of schooling that goes into that. There's probably five in the state CGAs. And, and I you have two of them. I have two of them. So. So, so how does that work? I mean, are there credentials that go to it, I'd imagine? I mean, how are they diving into to really understand, you know, how valid a diamond is or the value of it? You know, it's really, once again, it's the training. It's it's learning to look at the, the diamonds in this case or colored gemstones, depending on what you're talking about, and understand uh, through their schooling, okay, this is a an SI1 grade, for instance. This is an SI2 grade. This is a VBS2. So there's all these different grades um, that have to do with clarity. And then there's, of course, color uh, and then cut grade or cutting. And that's true whether we're talking about colored gemstones or we're talking about diamonds. So uh, both are... Um, have their own grading system. Their own system. Uh, their do, own. do you ever see discrepancies, though? I mean, if you're going to grade yeah. it a certain way, does yeah. a CGA grade it differently somewhere else? I mean, is there a yeah. conflict with that? E- even even within our trade. So the Gemological Institute of America, again, GIA, is probably the most prominent or most recognized uh, organization that is a third-party grader uh, that does grading. And those diamonds is pretty much exclusively what I sell. Um, I don't use other people's certifications other than maybe the American Gym Society, AGS. And even there'll be conflicts with migrators and what GIA sends to us or what we buy from from a supplier that has supplied a GIA certificate or, or grading report with that diamond. And we look at it thinking, how did that get an SI1? Level. It mm-hmm. should have been really an SI2 or it should have been a VS2 or whatever. So it's, uh, I know that's a lot of acronyms, but... Uh, no, but the intent here, and see, this is what's curious to me. I mean, I we... Of course, in my field, we're not looking at things like we're not grading lumber or windows, but at the same time, there is a level of quality to the product we're putting in the house, right? Right. But if you apply it to gemstones and diamonds like you are, I guess that would be the difficult part if you have a supplier coming in with product that says, yeah, it's certified and here's the documentation. And then you're looking at it yourself saying, well, there's a discrepancy here. So how do you resolve that? Or how do you get to a point, maybe common ground where you negotiate that? Right. So it really is just a matter of accepting it. Really, I mean, there is no kind of, uh, there is no way to fight it, you know, with the GIA, so to speak. I mean, if I send a diamond out for grading, for instance, which I did recently, and I didn't agree with the grade, I think it's much lower than it should have been. So they'll do a recheck for a certain amount of money, and they'll have a third grader look at the diamond and determine, yeah, we agree with what we're saying, or no, we're going to switch it to a grade higher. Um, so, but for the most part, you just either refuse the stone if you're in in, in the yeah, because you bottom. have that option to purchase yeah, it or not. Right, exactly. Diamonds come to us on memorandum; they come on consignment, so to speak, for a short period of time, 
and we're able to uh, look and spend our time and in some cases show it to a customer, let them make a decision before we have to commit to buying that stone. So, so explain that for anyone listening that maybe not understand that term consignment or how that works. You know, what, what, how does that, how's that process for you and a customer? You know, it's um, with the customer, it's a matter of saying, hey, you know what, I understand, you, you know, we don't have exactly what you're looking for. We understand you don't want to make a financial commitment. So we have the ability to get the diamonds and our colored stones in on memorandum and at no obligation to you. The only thing cost is the shipping, which we usually pick up anyway. And um, we'll take a look, see if we like it. And if you want it, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. But there's no obligation on your part or, my, or, or ours. So, and it makes it kind of nice because then I don't have to stock, you know, millions Everything. and millions of dollars worth of <laughs> worth a product product for yeah. the hope that someone's going to walk through the right. door and purchase exactly. that or customize it because it can sit for years. Yeah, in some cases. You know, and if you're so. paying that money up front, then right. that's investment in dollars that right. aren't realized. No different than your trade. Yeah, same way. You know, I mean. It'd be like me storing a lot of product that I can't sell in that inventory for any company in manufacturing right. or development, whatever it may be. I mean, it costs money to carry the overhead, to secure Absolutely. it, maintain it. Yeah. I got plenty of other and places theft. to spend money. <laughs> yeah, theft. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, these little items, right? Yeah. That we can walk away quickly. Of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting business from that standpoint. It's a lot harder so. still a, a multi-slider window, you know, than it is, you know, a little gym. I mean, yeah. that's, there's some challenge there. But what's pretty amazing is and this has kind of always been this way in our industry, is how much trust there is. So, um, you know, I'll call Israel, for instance, and to a supplier I've never talked to before, but because of my reputation or whatever, they'll send a diamond that's worth, call it fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 through just a couple simple checks, you know, on their part. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of trust to put forth to somebody without ever even having met them or talked to them. So, so, so let's talk about that, because I think yeah. reputation is important to any company. You know, if they're looking at solidifying their business, yeah. you know, a lot of people maybe take that shortcut to make a dollar, or, you know, the financial right. reward today. But if you think long-term reputation, I mean, how do you build that credibility over the years you've been in business in your profession? Right. With those suppliers, it's, it's really just a matter of mining your P's and Q's and making sure that you're a good payer, that you're paying your bills on time. And, you know, that word gets out there because it's a small world when we talk about suppliers and in our business. And if you get that reputation, you know, good luck getting product. There's also an organization called the JBT, Jewelers Board of Trade, and they um, kind of manage that whole thing. And they get credit reports from retailers, wholesalers, others. And then they rate them based on their ability to pay their their practices, how they do pay, are they timely, are they not? So that's that's part of it too. We have a obviously the best rating you can have with the Jewelers Board of Trade, which which is really important. Yeah, it's important. I'm proud of it. You know, it it, it means we've done a really good job managing our business and managing our bills and pay people on time. So would a supplier in Israel, as you mentioned, if they're going to say, okay, we're going to advance you a $60,000 sure. diamond to show your customer the potential to customize, are they going to look up that JBT They'll, they'll look up the JBT, and then they'll ask for references from other diamond dealers, and um, you know, you provide those names and numbers, and they call those people. But it's amazing uh, to me how little check 
background checking they do. And, and for somebody you've never met to yeah. ship that to another country. I know. Yeah. It's like, you may never see it again. <laughs> but, but once again, that happens and you do that to somebody, it's only going to happen so many times before. Before you don't get diamonds yeah. in your security yeah, supply luck, chain. right? Yeah. So, you know, going back to the diamond, you have diamonds are graded on cut, color, clarity, and carrot. Right. So what's the most important to you or what do you look for? Um, the cut grade is the most important feature in a diamond. And that's something that most stores aren't going to talk about that much because it's too difficult to, to kind of explain it and have people understand it. When in fact, in my mind, it's really not that difficult. But everybody talks about clarity and color. And those two are important, but... Really, for me, the cut grade or the uh, what that translates into is the most important feature in a diamond. And it has to do with light performance because the way light works in a diamond, everybody thinks you have to have all this light behind a diamond in order to make it brilliant, but that's not the case at all. That's not how light works in a diamond. It's the light passing through the top of the diamond, bounces off the back, and back out through the top. And if a cut stone, if a diamond is cut too deep or too shallow, instead of that light um, uh, coming back out of the top, it bleeds through the bottom of the diamond. So um, once again, when I am shopping for diamonds or I'm looking for diamonds for our, for, for our inventory, um, I look at the and when I open the diamond paper up and look at it for the first time, I know instantly whether or not I'm interested in that diamond or not based solely on the light performance and the, the brilliance of the diamond, which is created because of how, they, the, the cutter, how the cutter proportioned it and cut it, correct? So that's first and foremost. Next to me is color, um, color or lack thereof. So colorless is ideal, right? So you don't want any tint, like tinted windows. You don't want any tint of color, whether it be yellow, brown, whatever. You really want just clear, as clear as it can be. Um, so higher colors are important to me. Um, and then that cut grade first. And then third is the clarity. So to me, clarity is very important for a couple uh, from a couple standpoints. One, you don't want to have any eye visible inclusions to your naked eye. Secondly, you you don't want to have anything that's going to affect that light performance or that you know the way light works in the diamond. Uh, and then thirdly, you don't want any kind of uh, endurance issues. So if there's a durability issue, like a, a inclusion or a feather that's in the side of the diamond where it can be struck and could cleave or cause a bigger problem with the diamond, that's also. But once you get past those factors, then really spending money for a flawless or a VVS, which means very, very slight inclusions, um, or even VS, very slight inclusions, spending the extra dollars to get into those cleric grades isn't all that important to me. Um, because once again, it doesn't affect beauty it does affect price, however, quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I mean, how so, savvy are your customers when they come in for, you know, clarity or cut? You know, do they have a good understanding? Or can most people visualize the difference there between the diamonds? Yeah, it's funny. Some people, a lot of people come in with a idea in their head that they want, you know, like, say, a decolored flawless, you know. And we kind of have to, and if they want that, no problem. I can supply it all day but there's long. there's a premium, right? Oh, there's a huge premium. <laughs> yeah. So 
So it's important to kind of work them through that process so that they understand um, that dropping down to say, even as far as SI2 and clarity, which is a long way down that scale, but maintaining great cut grade and nice color, which can be, in my mind, clear down to even J color, which is still in the near colorless category, uh, can make a significant difference. And when I hold the two side by side and have them look at them, yes, you can see a slight difference. Obviously, between those two, you're going to see some difference. But is it huge enough to, to pay that huge premium for that, that quality? So it's really a matter. My business partner, Dave Trout, who unfortunately lost in, in 09, uh, used to do uh, something with customers all the time where he'd get three or four diamonds in and he'd line them up and he wouldn't line them in a particular category, you know, in a particular way. He would just say, hey, you pick out the diamond that you like. And this will be somebody that had already said, oh, I want H and I want VS and, yeah. you know, whatever. So they look at him, I really like that one right there. And so really you like that one, huh? That's a K color I want or something. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, right. It, it, so what people think they want and what they probably really want or need is a lot of times different. So. Well, I think I, I love that analogy because it's really important for business, right? I mean, I look at it this way that, you know, clients a lot of times may have somewhat of an understanding of construction. They may have a little understanding. Same for you in the jewelry business. It's important for us to communicate, set those expectations and help them understand. We use the term VE, value engineer. But how, you know, does that correlate? You know, they may have this image in their head. And then as we talk through pricing, they may say, well, well you know, maybe we can do an alternative here and do something else. And, you know, the more experience you have, the more knowledge and the better you can communicate that and lay sure. out the diamonds and say, well, which one speaks to you? And then you can narrow that, narrow that down for them. Right. Because it's not always the most expensive, you know, that's going to stand out. Yeah. You know. And sometimes so. not the best, uh, maybe in our case, sometimes the most expensive it won't perform or won't fit the look that they want anyways. Right. And the look they want may be an alternative that's maybe less expensive, which is better for them. Sure, exactly. So going back to that, I mean, right now, in I know in the world, there's a lot of, uh, I should say it's changing in regard to natural versus creative diamonds. Yeah. You know, so, so explain that and what's happening, yeah. at, you know, that you're seeing. Yeah, so the whole creative diamond thing's been around for a lot of years now, where, uh, Man decided, you know what, we can actually recreate all, take all the natural ingredients that a diamond has, put it under a huge amount of pressure and heat, and create diamond, right? So they have gone through that process, and it's finally gotten to a point now where not only has it become that uh, a situation where they can create these diamonds at the same price, for the same price per carat as naturals, but they've actually gone quite a bit below the natural price of diamonds. And uh, these are man-made or created? They are created. That's okay. correct. Yep, they're, they're totally man-made, totally created. The properties are the same as natural as far as hardness and the look and everything else, but the difference is that it's kind of gotten to a point now where there's a lot of companies getting into it it has been over the last several years. So we keep watching the prices fall on those diamonds. So it's it's simply a matter of the, the customer understanding that if you use or decide to purchase a created diamond, that the value, you don't know where it's going to be in a few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that with naturals, you're going to know exactly where it is either. But the history says 
that it holds its value to some extent. To some extent. There's right, a exactly. certain amount of product out there. Yeah, even natural over the last five years or so has probably dropped, you know, it's, it has dropped in price some for various reasons. Um, but, you know, like I was just reading an article the other day that the whole natural production, uh, they're about to close their alcohol diamond mines and and some other mines. The Canadian mine is in trouble. And, and so the whole natural thing is kind of sketchy right Uncertain. now too. So you don't know, you know, is that going to drop prices? I don't think so. If anything, I think it'll increase them. Increase because of scarcity. Them. Yeah, because of scarcity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with the created diamonds. Uh, I just think once again, it's buyer beware. So... And part of that, when you talk about that, it's ROI, right? Return on investment that if they're making a big purchase, and and as you mentioned, it may not be the same price, but it's still, it's not inexpensive. There's still a big cost there for the created. So as those prices continue to de-escalate and come down, then that could increase or decrease the value if you were to resell it or repurpose it. Right. More and more companies get into that. And now there's a little bit more of a battle. Um, you know, there's some major players getting into that whole thing, and so they could try and take over that market by, you know, really dumping prices. So there's just a lot of factors. There. Do customers have a good idea? I mean, if you were to look at both diamonds side by side, I mean, is it easy to tell the difference from the naked eye? It's not very easy to tell. You know, I mean, we have equipment that can tell quickly. Um, but for the most part, to the naked eye, not, not really. So, so is it risky? I guess my question is, I know that there's, okay, you have the ability and you have two certified CGAs right there in your right. office. Now you can quickly identify as they come in and they can do their analysis and appraisal, right. you know, but how, you know, from a supplier standpoint, is it difficult to build that supply chain? I know it's a small world, as you mentioned, but how do you, uh, you know, where are you sourcing from different places in the world without giving your vendors out, of course, right. but I mean, are they coming from all over the world, certain countries, are there certain suppliers you've worked with that you have more credibility with yeah. and trust? Yeah, I kind of, over the years, Dave and I always kind of, we didn't try and use all kinds of different vendors because we saw the advantage of being able to to focus in on, on, the, on a good few vendors and provide as much business to them as we can therefore becoming an important player to them. And so now when we need product, we need diamonds in a certain category, and it's us getting it versus a guy that doesn't do as much business, then we're going to, you know, we're going to have the advantage there. We're going to be able to get that product from them better than somebody else. So I have a couple, three or four, five, six really good suppliers uh, that I w- work with on a regular basis for diamonds, many, many more for color. Yeah. Um, which is just a side note. My favorite is colored gemstones, but, uh, but so I know those sources, we make sure that they're trusted sources that the, where they're mining and that they're, they're, um, they're being responsible from the standpoint of where those things are coming from that we're not providing money for conflicts and, you know. And how do you even, I mean, that opens up a whole political side of things. I mean, how do you even, you know, how can you even get into that site to understand, you know, how they're sourcing them or how they're getting them? There's pretty good um, tracking now from the mine all the way to the cutter. And And showing that chain. Yeah, showing that chain. Exactly. Yeah, that's become a big thing over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, but I think one thing to understand is, in this stats from a few years back, but it's like 
the supply, the amount of diamonds that are really what they call conflict diamonds is about 2% of the total diamond production in the world. So it's a very small percentage that are actually in that But it's exacerbated diamond. as something much bigger. Yeah, especially when movies come out yep. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Hollywood had, tend, tends to do that to us. You exactly. Know? So I guess, you know, what I love about that analogy, I mean, you spoke about the relationship, you spoke about, you know, trusted players, you mm -hmm. know, which is really important. And, you know, the, the analogy for me as you're speaking, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, for throughout my history of, of being a builder, right, there's a certain amount of trade partners that we have sure. that I really trust. And the reason I do that is, is for a few reasons. One, they understand our expectation. They right. understand what I want right. them to do and, you know, our desire, whether it be quality, site cleanliness, you know, functionality, communication, you know, professionalism, you know, Absolutely. all these little things are really important to us, you know, and, and then I realized that, you know, if I need something, which tends to be the case because construction is a tough industry that, you know, there are people that can perform and there's value there. And, and, and that's important for me to sell the customer on. Absolutely. And I'm sure for you too, is that you have to explain to the customer, um, you know, over the years, you know, now that you have the name Coffin Trout and you have your known entity and you you have this impressive resume, it's a lot easier, but it takes time to get to that point. Oh, so. Absolutely. When did you feel that you made that turning point as a company to say where you had that reputation, where people really understood the value of, of working with you, Randy? Well, certainly, like you say, it's not something that happens in a year or happens in a couple of years. It, it's simply a matter of, you know, following that practice, like you're saying, and never swaying from it, making sure that you're consistent with that. And then just through customers and certainly suppliers because that's one thing I'm really proud of is you know usually and maybe it's the same way in your business I don't know but retailers don't tend to talk people talk each other up you know I mean uh, I've never been in a guy that's going to talk others down you know because I just don't think it's right but we have an unbelievable relate um uh, reputation in the industry from our fellow retailers, our peers, and we hear it from our customers that will come in and say, hey, I was in another state even, and I heard about you guys, and they said what great guys you are, and I should come see you. And so, you know, we, we have that even locally to some extent, we have that reputation amongst the other, our, our peers. And so that that only comes from doing exactly what you're saying, which is just being consistent and making sure that you uh, follow the practices that you know you would want others to, to follow. and uh, Standing behind your product yeah, and your service exactly, and everything you're doing. For sure. You know, above and beyond, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if somebody has a little problem, you just take care of it, right? You don't, you know, even if it costs you some money, it's, it's too important to that make sure that that yeah. relationship stays, therefore your reputation stays and... And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it's interesting. I've learned over the years, that, you know, that's it's pick and choose your battles, right? Some right. things, exactly. you know, it, it, it is tough because we're always trying to do what's right by the customer. And to some extent, you know, there can be on occasion some unrealistic customers, but at the same time, there are little things we can do right. or incentives or take care of things or stand behind our work that actually goes a long way that builds that credibility. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, they always say that, uh, uh, unhappy customer is going to tell eight to 10 people and a happy customer will tell one to two, right? right so exactly. it, it, it's really hard to stay yeah. on the top. It is. And, but if you're doing the right thing, it'll continue to build 
yeah. uh, credibility. It, it really does. It's, it's very, very true. So. so let me ask you this, Randy, because I'm sure, okay, you know, having the credibility and, and the reputation you do, you have these five, six suppliers that you've worked with. Well, maybe there's one or two new suppliers who um, are, are new in the industry. They're building up their credibility. They want to work with you and partner with you. You know, I look at it this way where I have maybe a set base of trade partners that I'm working with and I'll have someone reach out on LinkedIn or Instagram and say, hey, Brad, we want to work with AFT. We want to be part right. of the brand. And I have to vet them. I have to figure out, okay, right. are they going to be able to perform to my expectation, their known entity and background? So how often do you open the door to new suppliers that are out there? Because it still is important to continue right. to have that product and source yeah, that for you, you. You never want to close your mind to that, right. right? I mean, it's just you're cutting your nose off to spite your face, so mm -hmm. to speak. So you just, I think you just, the key with us is we start small with them. You know, we don't, we don't go all in and we make sure that we do like you say, vet them as well as we can, do background checks, you know, talk to other vendors, you know, we get names from them, uh, customers, and, you know, not afraid to call those customers and say, hey, I'm thinking about using this person, what do you think? Because, once again, a lot of us are friendly within the industry, you know, and so it's easy to, and they know that, to make calls and find out, you know, uh, th these guys are on the up and up, and uh, we just started with the new, we had a new one today, so... Uh, for some, some items that we don't necessarily want to build ourselves, you know, because uh, we build most of what we do. But in some cases, we have to buy ancillary product to, to fill the case with certain items that we don't want to spend the time to build ourselves. So so do you have a relationship base, and you've alluded to this, with other jewelers around the country? And I look at it this way for me, and this is where I'm, I'm a big fan of social media, because Instagram and LinkedIn have allowed me right. to connect with other contractors where, you know, instead of making all the mistakes myself, right, I can go yeah. out and talk to them about mistakes they've made over the years and, and pitfalls and things that I can look out for to better my business. So, I mean, is that something that you're pretty open? I mean, how conducive to communication is your industry if they're a non-competitor? You know, our industry tends to kind of lag a little bit in a lot of areas, software. That's like construction. It's like <laughs> yeah. the same thing as us. Uh, you know, technology, technology, everything. It's like we're way behind. All that. Yeah. But fortunately, I've got a son who's coming into the business, has been for 10 years now. Um, and he gets that whole thing. He understands it. And along with uh, great um, marketing slash social media slash web developer guy that, that we have who is just, he's young, he's vibrant, he's super knowledgeable and really does his job really well. So um, because of that, we've kind of gone to probably a little higher level than a lot of jewelers are from that standpoint i'm not bragging about them just saying that, that because of those connections because of my son and and being younger and understanding that whole scene and he uh, does a great job it's funny because yeah. i'm connected with him on linkedin and instagram of course we sure. follow each other and he does a great job with social media which is very attractive and it's amazing the customer base i mean have you seen success and results from being oh active on those platforms? Absolutely. And that's one of the nice things is we do some major analysis uh, on a biweekly basis with this um, young guy who's talking about to where he's got it all charted. He can go back and look at all kinds of statistics and show us exactly where we've grown, how we've grown, what customer base we're drawing that particular time, what's down, what's up. I mean, the good news is if it had been all up to me, I'd, we'd been light years behind where we are. <laughs> We've been in big trouble. So, Well, I will say in your defense, I mean, the reality is Randy in the last, you know, five to 10 years has changed 
very quickly. Oh yeah. And and Huge. it is and it is interesting. I mean, for us, you know, we're on all the social media platforms and and I do the same thing. I track and when I have a lead, reach out and if it's you know, whether it's a job for me or not, because mm-hmm. not everyone who calls me, you know, we're a good fit for. You know, they may be looking for maybe a small bathroom remodel, which isn't our forte, right? And so, but I always ask the question how they find us, how they hear about us, because it's interesting to see where the customers are, are hearing the name or picking up or, you know, where that lead generation is coming from. Sure. So yeah. is that something you're tracking too, just we from are. the platform? Absolutely. So you know for which sure. ones you want to be investing time, yep. maybe money, but at least time. For sure. And now we're about to kick in a CRM, which is going to oh, nice. be, you know, really nice. Uh, to take it to the next level again, you know, with, uh, with, well, CRM's with where it's really important, our customer base, right? Yeah, so. and CRM is really important for a, a company such as yourself because yeah. you are going to have a vast customer base. You're going to have a lot of repeat clients. And so to be in front of them, whether you have different products, different sales, different right. items coming in, I mean, you want to be able to stay in front of them. Yep, birthdays, anniversaries, yep. I mean, all that information. They right? love that stuff, I yeah. mean, it's, it's important to stay in touch. I mean, uh, we proved that uh, one of my... My first salesperson I ever hired, um, she was a great gal, and she was from Germany, and she talked us into hiring her. It's like, we really don't need somebody, but okay. And she did a great job for us for over 20 years and um, retired a while back. But uh, she, uh, we tell her, Bridget, you know, you need to get on the phone and, and touch base with your customers. She just hated, you know, that whole phone thing. Customer but, service. But thing. it was amazing how each time she would do that and just touch base with people, how it resulted in sales, you know, I mean, oh yeah, you know, Bridget, I've been meaning to get a hold of you and, and, uh, you know, I'm glad you called and yeah, I'm going to come see you and, you know, $10,000 sale later, $20,000 sale later, you know, so she, she learned to, to grab hold of that, understand it and start, you know, following those, those practices. Uh, and that's a simple form of obviously CRM, but, uh, obviously, with CRMs, it's much more strategic and much more in depth than what, what I just said. But uh, so. see, I, lo- I love that you've integrated that. I think that's something I need to look at. Is one thing is you know even though our customer base is smaller based on the amount of customers I interact with throughout the year, but at the same time, you know those little things, right. birthdays, anniversaries, maybe completion dates, CFO anniversaries of their house. Right. I mean, these are little things that we could think about integrating as a company and, yeah. you know, as a thank you to them. It's the whole thing of going above and beyond, not meeting expectations, but far, but exceeding. far exceeding, far exceeding expectations. And that's what that accomplishes. And what's that, what that's going to do for you and what it's done for us is that individual that uh, hears a friend or somebody saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying this or that or a piece of jewelry, they're going to instantly think about you. You know, in your case, they're going to instantly think about EFT for that home that that, that into, hey, I'm thinking about moving or thinking about building a house. They're instantly going to think about you if you've gone far exceeded their expectations, you know, so. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny because one of the goals that I have as a builder is that, you know, when the project's done, that the client will still want to go out to dinner with my wife and I, right? Yeah. And then we're going out to, to dinner <laughs> with one of our clients yeah. uh, tomorrow night, actually, that, that closed on their home back in January. Cool. And so, so it's funny because you think about it, I say it lightly, but because it can be such a, a, a stressful experience, right. right, for both parties. And and especially if things go in a way that's not desirable, it makes it even more challenging. But if you could be in a position where your friends after, and, but take it a step further where now not only could you go to dinner, but hey, AFT, remember my birthday and or our anniversary or house right. anniversary or whatever it may be. Or with a kid event, I think there's a lot of value there. You know, that's a value add that we can give our customers. Yeah. Well, and 
take take it even a step further, you know, one of the value adds for me and my business and one of the things I've enjoyed more than anything else is that whole customer relation thing, right? Because, I mean, I've met more people than I can tell you that I've, I've either gone to dinner with, in many cases traveled with, or gone to their homes in another state or fly fished with or, you know, just so... What a great value add. I mean, I've made more friends in my business by far than I have outside my business. Well, it's funny, as I mentioned, I mean, whether it be from bankers I've associated with, whether it be from, um, uh, you know, athletes, whether it be from Dave Clark, a mutual friend of ours, you know, they all know, or golf, you know, they all know Randy, and they speak highly of you, and you've been to their cabins up in Minnesota and been fishing, and so there's a connection there that it is a relationship industry, and it just shows, you know, doing the right thing, being a good person, you know, communicating well, you know, just the, right. you know, the effect that can have not only on your business, but just everything you're doing. Well, to me, it's real simple. I mean, why would you be any other way? Why would you not run your business like that? I mean, that's that's the enjoyment of the whole thing, right? So it's kind of like just like, you know, the enjoyment of what I do or what we do in that we build most of our own product, right? So let me ask you about yeah, that, Randy, because so. this was one of my questions for you. Because, you know, with jewelry, you know, do you customize most of the product that you're selling? We we, we, we do two things. One, we're custom shop big time because we have six full-time jewelers in the back. Uh, very, very talented people. Um, and we'll talk about that whole thing in a minute. But uh, that have the ability to take and create jewelry from start to finish. And years ago, my business partner and I, instead of just buying and selling, uh, because there's not nearly as much satisfaction that for me, kind of like I'd go be a butcher or something, you know, and sell bologna by the pound before I'd, you know, buy and sell jewelry. I just, it's it's the, the whole um, satisfaction that you get from working with somebody from the start and coming up with, combination of their ideas and our own design ideas and creating this piece of jewelry and then showing it to them and see the emotion, right? The, the tears or the, the smile or the, the hug for the husband or whatever it is, you know, just, uh, there's nothing for me more satisfying than, than being able to do that. And I couldn't do that if I just bought it and sold it. So, and not to mention that it allows us to be unique. Um, to create things that can't be chopped other places, mm-hmm. you know. Um, They're not replicated. Not replicated. Uh, we came up with our own shape years ago of, of our rings that is shaped like your finger because your finger's not round. Mm-hmm. And it keeps the, the diamonds on top of the finger, keeps it from spinning on the finger. It's more comfortable. You don't feel the, the ring between your fingers as much. So, And one thing you've done, too, that I'll explain is you also have for someone who needs to take their band off and maybe their hand, finger gets swollen or something, you have a, another thing where they can stick like a little pin in and it pops open. It's almost like Correct. a... Correct. It's a, yeah, adjustable shank yeah. or, or a, yeah, a hinged shank. Yeah. So there's, we've got some of those items that we've produced as well. And um, so, yeah, it's, that that whole side of it has been a lot of fun. It's, a, it's ended up um, where we've entered competitions. We're now 14-time winners of an international award called the American Gym Trade Association. It's called the Spectrum Awards. And so we've won that, uh, like I say, 14 times between wow. my partner and myself. And, you know, those are things to be proud of when you get recognized by your peers once again. And those fellow designers in the industry put you on the top of that list because there's, you know, four or 500 pieces a lot of times you're up against in these categories. 
So. so walk us through that communication because when I have a client come in, they'll come in and maybe some of them are savvy building a home, some aren't, and they'll sit down and say, okay, Brad, what's your process? Mm-hmm. What, what's the timing? What can I expect? You right. know, and you know, if we were to start today and we have our piece of dirt, you know, I have to explain to them, okay, you're going to be six to 10 months to permit and engineering. And then we start in the house and depending right. on the size, right? So if someone comes in, you know, what's the expectation yeah. you're delivering for through design, through right. construction, through before you deliver that in? Yeah, end which product. is tough because it's like, I want it now. You yeah. Know, kind of a They thing. come in today and they yeah. want to pick it up Friday, yeah. right? It's like, can I have it tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, especially once they get excited about the process. Yeah. A lot of times there's a lot of hesitation, you know, about the process. I just want to see it. I just want to come in and be able to see it and buy it. And so it, it takes a little bit of work to get that individual. So and how do you expedite that? So, I mean, are you so, doing drawings or artwork? Correct. So we start with, and sometimes uh, hand sketches, you know, just to kind of get the basic concept. We use other pieces there in the case as examples of certain types of setting or setting work, different bead setting versus channel setting versus whatever. And then we take it to the next step, which is to do a, a, a computer a photorealistic rendering on, in CAD. Um, which and we, is your shop doing that, the oh, CAD? Yeah. yeah, we've been doing CAD. So very skilled staff. Since the 90s. Wow. You know, way back when there wasn't really software available for the industry for CAD. For, for the jewelry industry. And so, but today there's lots of it out there. And so you can create these, um, you know, without tons of effort. It's still, you got to be skilled. I've got a CAD guy that's phenomenal. Um, and I work with him. I'll go back and s- take my hand sketch and say, okay, here's, here's what we want to build and here's how we're going to do it. And we make changes along the way. But then, you know, within a few days, we've got a rendering to be able to show to the customers so they have different views of the piece from all different angles. Then we also produce a wax model on a 3D prototyper to be able to then show them, not pretty to look at, but it gives you dimension, right? It gives you, here's the height, here's the width, here's how it's going to feel in your hand. That combined with the photorealistic rendering is enough to to say, yep, I like it, let's do it. And I will tell you that you know, and I tell them all the time, you know, if you like the rendering and you like the wax, you're going to love the finished piece because it's so, <laughs> so much, much greater than even these are. So, And then what does that time frame take? I mean, I would imagine, are you able to do yeah. the CAD and artwork in that setting or does it take you a few days? No, to, it takes, to takes a few days, um, typically only because we're backed up, right? Yeah. Good news. Uh, yeah, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to, you know, put it into the line of things and get it done. And uh, so within a few days to a week we have that rendering and we have you know here's what we're going to need materials the rendering also does us and the wax also gives us the ability to be able to tell what the weight of the metals are going to be i can determine labor at that point and so i know what my costs are going to be and that's what i was going to ask because it's identifying your cost your database how much you know uh metals or material are you going to use you know whether it be gold or whatever it may be and then the diamonds or gemstones themselves correct and then you know, we put our small little margin in there to be able to keep the doors open and, uh, you know, and then say, you know, here's what, here's what, here's what it's going to be. What do you think? And, uh, you know, we have a really high success rate of being able to close sales based on those following that practice. So, so when did you start integrating the artwork? I mean, I've seen, you know, remodel companies, I've seen builders, architects really get involved, especially there's one architect that I really enjoy working with because what he does is he does the floor plan, and the elevation, he puts it in 3D, and then he'll even show the customer, hey, you know, in, in the middle of the summer, 
if it's 5 p.m. in the afternoon, here's going to be the sun, right? Here's the oh, shade. Cool. Here's the yeah. sun coming in your house. Here's sure. the glare in your great room. Here's the glare in your kitchen. And then in the winter, in December, you know, solstice, here it is at, at you know, 6 p.m. when it's kind of dark, you know. And, and so he can rotate. So then that way for overhangs and windows and glare, and, which is really important. We have a lot of sun yeah. and heat, so we have oh, to yeah. hide ourselves from that in the summer. But, you know, it's really good because I can see the customer. Most customers aren't very visual, so they see this, right. and it really yeah. engages them where um, – they, they, they feel that they're part of the process and they're yeah. ready to move forward. And so yeah. I would assume that it's similar to jewelry, then now they're emotionally, they're invested, and now they're ready to... They are. And forward. once they're emotionally invested, that's when you get the, can I have it tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, because then now the excitement's there, right? So. so is there a variation? So like, I know it takes probably maybe a week or a couple of weeks or whatever it may be, depending yeah. on your backlog to yeah. create it. But now when it's in production... Mm -hmm. uh, does it vary by piece? Are these one week? Are these 12 weeks? It, it varies by piece to some extent, but typically we're four weeks to eight weeks, wow. depending on... Good. Yeah. So, because um, you got the you know, whole create the model, um, send it off for casting, um, have it cast into whatever metal, platinum, gold, whatever, get it back. And are you doing that casting or do you work with other vendors? We did the casting you? for many years and it just became a situation where... You know, unless you're just really, really good at that and you have somebody dedicated to that only, it, to me, it doesn't pay to have mm -hmm. to do your own casting because you're constantly having to refine metals because you can only use that metal so many times before it has to be re-alloyed. So it has to be brought back to pure again, burn all the alloys out, the copper, the zinc, the, you know, whatever, and turn There's back into pure, re-alloyed yeah. because otherwise the alloys start to break down. So... So we just, we have a couple of casting houses that we've been using for years and they do a fantastic job for us and it eliminates that for us. And that process takes about a week or to less. To get that back. Yeah. So. And then the casting place now, are they supplying the metals and stuff for you or are correct. you supplying that? No, they're the supplying the metals. Okay. Yep. So the, the nice thing is like with our platinum, for instance, we use a, somebody who came from the tech industry up in uh, Portland and she really knows her stuff. And so she does an extra step with the casting. So once the platinum casting is done, she takes it and she puts it into a uh, isostatic, um, it's, it's called hipping, so high isostatic pressure. And it's a huge machine with a little chamber about this big and it, it applies all kinds of heat and pressure just like we talked about with the diamonds earlier. Mm -hmm. And it gets all these molecules of the platinum spinning and it, it compacts them at the same time with the pressure. So the finished product on that casting is much greater than most because everything's very compacted and very firm and very solid. And we, so you get extra life out of the metal over the years. It's just a, a, an extra thing that we talk to other customers about that other step, uh, an extra step that most jewelers don't even know about. Um, so and I love that you shared that because it's fascinating to me. I feel like in our country or society, you know, most of us aren't exposed to the creation or building things, right? And, uh, you know, even though I'm in the building industry, you know, a lot of times I'm ordering product, it's delivered, we install it, and I get to see that aspect. But, you know, going to Kohler, uh, you know, they took me out there and I got to see the manufacturing and you're seeing, you know, these blacksmiths in there and you're seeing this equipment and you're yeah. seeing... You know, everything happened behind the scenes, and it's amazing to see manufacturing like that. And think about it with jewelry, just that creation where you're putting this vision together and creating something for someone. I mean, there is, as you mentioned, a lot of satisfaction sure. to that. And maybe that's why we're a little prehistoric, I guess, that 
not everything's off a, off a line. Everything's custom. So right. we can't move super fast because there's still some hand right. quality and, and time and labor behind it. Yeah, which becomes, you know, super important for longevity in the case of jewelry, you know, and uh, same with building it myself, right? With I can really control quality from the standpoint of setting, how how well the piece is finished, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I often have told my guys, I don't want a finished piece to come out of that shop unless you would hand it to your mother or your grandmother or whatever. If it's not that good, then I don't want it, you know, so... So we just really make sure that everything coming out of there is just perfectly polished. The stones are perfectly set. The prongs are nice and have enough weight to be able to withstand the years of wear and that kind of thing. Because, you know, it, you know, one of the things you had asked me about was was maintenance, right, on jewelry and so on. And and so it becomes uh, people think that these metals that we use, you know, they got to realize they're precious metals, right? So they're soft. They're not like steel or, or some of these other metals, titanium and all these hard metals, right? So they think that once they put it on their finger, they should just be able to wear it a lifetime and never have to look at it again, right? But unfortunately, we've replaced a lot of diamonds because people wear them to the point where the prongs, prongs are break off or fall off, broken yeah. off and so on. So there is, it, it is important to to bring things in and that's a free service that we do for people all the time, no matter if they bought the pieces from us or not, to check the prongs, check the tightness of the diamonds, make sure everything's secure, then we polish it, clean it, give it back. That's so. interesting because as a business model, you know, you're even doing this for customers that didn't buy their jewelry from you, but right. it's another way to maybe build that relationship with the potential client down the road. Absolutely. And even though that takes time and effort, it's worth it in the long run, obviously. So once how do you... builds that reputation once again. Yeah, which is... I mean, it totally makes sense why you have the reputation you do. So how do you, I guess, from a company culture standpoint, how do you retain? Because you have, you know, top artists and, and you know, those working in the back, you know, creating the product. Right. You have the CGAs, you know, that we talked about, great appraisers, you know. So how do you keep that staff with low turnover? I mean, that's always the challenge. How do you keep them happy? You know, just treat them the way you want to be treated, honestly. I mean, I... I came from a bench background myself, working at the bench and creating jewelry, repairing jewelry, starting to repair jewelry and then creating jewelry and all that kind of stuff from at the actual workbench. And so, I, you know, I worked for a number of people, obviously, before I started my own business. And so I knew what it was to be an employee, right? So, and I've never, like, put that behind me or forgot about it. So I make sure that, you know, I, I tell my people all the time, it, it, as long as we're profitable, you're going to profit along with us. It doesn't matter if your salary has exceeded the norm, you know, what we'd normally in the industry, pay yeah, in the industry. Mm-hmm. That's not important to me. I don't even think about that. It's it's about making sure that I'm treating you well. And, and so we're very much a family. I've got people that have been there 24 years, 20 years, 18 years, 16 years, um, you know, which is great for everything but vacation because now they have all, all have four <laughs> weeks worth of vacation. It's, it's like, what do you mean you have You're another vacation, vacation again? Coming? Well, so. that's good. I love that company culture aspect because I think the toughest thing as a business owner is understanding the value that, you know, I've, I've networked with a lot of contractors and they always, their, their biggest complaint is, Brad, we have a lot of turnover. You know, how are yeah. you not having turnover? And, and I think, you know, in the networks I've been in and the people I've spoken with, such as yourself, Randy, that have this vision that, Look, we all are in business to be profitable, but if I can create a career for my team, my employees where now they can own a home and they can be successful and they can have vacation time, you know, they're going to put more into it. And yeah. it's, it's that mentality that, 
you're not trying to keep anything from themselves. And maybe the market may say this person should only be paid 70,000, but you're like, right. I don't care if I pay you a hundred thousand. It doesn't matter if the market says 70, but by paying you a hundred, I'm going to keep you for long term. Right. And, and if you're, if I'm paying you 70, it's because we're all doing well, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, we've all built this together, so we should all profit from it together, you know? And, um, it's funny you say that. I know we golfed together recently and I rode with one of your staff with Adam and, uh, just, you know, not not solicited at all, but just the comments he would make you know, along the way during, during a round about how much he enjoys what he's doing and where he's at and how much you guys are just a family and he really enjoys you guys like brothers. And that says a lot for you, certainly. And well, thank you, yeah. It says a lot for your company and you guys should be really proud. So, Well, thank you. I think it's funny, you know, not, you know, we learned the hard way, right? I learned as a young business owner, I learned being an employee, certain things that stuck out to me that yeah. I really had a hard time where it's like, I felt that I'd go that extra distance and it wasn't recognized and not, it does always have to be financial. I've seen where right. maybe, you know, some of our staff is like, Hey, my son has a cross country race. Yeah. Go take care of it. You know, go yeah, work. will be here when you get back, you know, and it's those little things that go a long way, you know, yeah. fill that emotional bank account for, for the team. That and the attaboys. You yeah. Know? I mean, <laughs> the attaboys just, are good. Yeah. Take them golf and they like that too. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Exactly. Unless Randy beats up on us out there. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I mean, one of the challenges right now, especially with COVID, is supply chain, right? And it's funny because I know some of my customers have worked with you, mm-hmm. and they may come to you and say, Randy, I want this amazing Rolex. It's mm-hmm. this unique one of a kind. And I was with you actually at you know one event where my client was asking you, and already when he started talking about it, you knew exactly the one he wanted, and but it's limited. So, you know, so how, I guess, what gives you the upper hand, or how do you work with vendors such as Rolex and other brands out there to get those custom pieces for your clients? Well, you know, it's become especially tricky since COVID, you know, and, and unbelievably the demand for that product has grown exponentially even since COVID, right? For whatever reason, like people aren't spending it on vacations and other things, I guess. Not traveling. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, they've got it in their pocket and they've always wanted this item. So, Hey, I'm going to do it, you know? Unfortunately, they closed for two and a half months, two to two and a half months, and they came back at a limited staff, you know, and and they're still kind of somewhat limited as far as production goes. And so um, you can only do with what you got, right? So um, So how do you work your way up the chain? Because you're doing this on an international level now, fighting against other distributors, and now you're trying to get the suppliers and, and get that product in. Yeah, I mean... The good news with Rolex is you understand with their um, policies and so on that it's a regional thing. So I can't, when people call from out of state, I've got a certain, you know, criterion I go through with them and you really need to talk to your local supplier, that kind of Interesting. thing. So, yeah. So so if someone were to call you, say, from Texas, mm-hmm. you know, want a Rolex piece from you, you may not have jurisdiction to sell that. They would have to work with the local vendor. I would have had to have done business with them in my store. And prove Previously, that. yeah, and be able to. And, and and we stuck to it very tightly, you know, because honestly, I don't have enough product to even supply who I want to supply now the locally yeah, that, that does jewelry business with me and as well as, you know, watch business. So, and, and that really becomes, honestly, it's kind of like anything else. I mean, you're going to, you're going to take care of the people that take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Especially lot, loyal customers. Yeah, that's it. So those loyal customers are going to be first on the list, you know, kind of a thing. And not that there's really lists, so to speak, but, but we, we make sure we take heed of, of what people are asking for. We're always polite about it. We always tell them, Hey, you know, that's a great watch to aspire to. 
unfortunate. It's in high demand. It's in short supply. And uh, we'll just we'll stay in touch as much as we can and, and try and uh, fulfill your dream as soon as we can. So that's about all you can do, you know, so. Yeah, and, and, and that's always a challenge to work through. I'm sure with COVID, I mean, we're dealing with that too. And, you know, without getting into too many specifics, I mean, lumber and other things have really backed us up, and it's not definitely yeah. as desirable as maybe Rolex, but it's still limitations, <clears throat> right, that, that affect our business. You know, and one thing, you know, going back to the reputation, what has always stuck out with me, Randy, because I've participated in, in a lot of your charity things you've done, and you've been very active in the community for – your whole career and you've put on events and stuff. So talk to us about why you've always had that passion for the charity aspect of the firm and the company. You know, I think it comes from a couple of things. One, my business partner, Dave Trout, um, was very much that kind of guy, right? That, that was always generous and wanted to give back. And I learned lessons from that myself. Not that I wasn't generous. I, I feel like I've always been generous, but, but the importance of that, and how it can help to, you know, it's not just one-sided, right? I mean, you, you help the community, but then it, it tends to come back to you too in the form of business, business at some point. And even if it doesn't, that's okay. You know, the most important part is that you've been able to watch these organizations that you've given money to and see them grow and see how the the kids, because a lot of times for us it's it's kid-based organizations that we give back to, and when you see their successes and you see what it's done for those children and, and how a lot of those children have gone from, you know, whatever age they were to graduating from college and now they're in higher positions, places, you know, that's pretty cool. And so, once again, it's just it's just a reward. It's, it's an extra reward for us is the way I look at that, to give back. And, and, you know, we've been fortunate and we've been profitable and it's just natural. You you got to give back. I mean, it just if you're selfish about that, I think it's gonna pay you back the same way. It's not, you're not gonna you're not gonna benefit. You're gonna see. Um, well, I think you're yeah. successful because of it. It's funny. I, a young mentor for me, and I've said this before, is that he was very adamant. I remember him pulling me aside, and I think I was just out of college. I had to have been like 23 or something, and. He's like, Brad, generosity will precede prosperity, right? Yeah, and it had a lasting impact because he's one of the most generous people I'd ever met. And and he's very successful. And I saw that, that, you know, you treat people right, you do these things, and it has such a big impact. And yeah. I can say from being there, I know you've done a lot of charity for a lot of the youth and, you know, trouble kids and, and other in our area. And to see them stand up where they've had maybe no one in their home and no ability to get education, and now here they are graduating college and stand up and speaking. Yeah in front of 300 people, you know, giving a speech. I mean, it's it's moving, right? It's emotional. Yeah, it is. And, and I, I feel like there's a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of good that's done from that and, and appreciate all you do for that, Randy. That's really great. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, and before we let you off the hook here, because, you know, and, and to learn more about where our listeners can find you from social media, I think you've brought a couple pieces in yeah. to show us. And are these... Yeah, you were asking about, yeah. you know, unique pieces that yeah. I've created and so on. So there is an organization called Somewhere in the Rainbow, and um, it is a actually just um, a couple that had an extreme love for colored gemstones and wanted to find a way to uh, harness that and be able to promote color to the rest of the world, colored gemstones to the rest of the world. Which is what you're a fan of, right? I love colored gemstones. I mean, they're just so, so unique, special, hard unique, it. hard to find, uh, beautiful. I mean, I love color, you know, so... Um, so I've had is there a certain color gemstone that you love the most, or a certain 
type of gemstone? Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Not necessarily. I mean, I enjoy the finer sides of all of them, right? So whether it's tourmaline or spinel or topaz or, you know, whatever it might be, it, you know, it just depends, sapphire, ruby. It just depends on if it's a really fine gem, that's what attracts me to it. It's mm-hmm. really bright and vivid and, you know, uh, so... But this this couple, they, they formed this organization. They've got a, a um, curator, so to speak, that, that, that helps build the collection. And she uh, uh, commissions different artists and oh, people to do, like, specialized to do special yeah. pieces with their gemstones that they've purchased and things. And I've had the good fortune of doing about four or five pieces for this organization. Oh, wow. And probably my favorite piece I've built. And one of the most unique is this piece here. So let's see that. So uh, for those of you that are listening via uh, the podcast or if you download, whether they be iTunes or wherever else, make sure you tune into our YouTube channel. We'll do a little dedicated segment on the YouTube channel so you can see this. So this is a photo That's of one of the pieces. photo of a bracelet that I built that is a, um, a 18.21 carat um, tricolor Precious Topaz. It only comes out of one place in the world in Brazil. There's only one mine. And and, the, and that place in Brazil is the only place to find this stone. Correct. And it, it I can't tell you how rare that 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 gem is. It's it's extremely rare. And it, you created this piece. Given for the, the size, that that the size of that stone, it was probably about that long. You know, it is a large, clean, great, as you can see, fantastic color. And then I combined it with um, sapphires that come out of the Umba mine in Africa and um, and then diamonds. And uh, and we entered into the competition. It didn't win that year wow. for whatever reason, which we were just, I was floored by. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. And so was everybody else. They were like, are you kidding me? So this has gotten tons of hits in social Social media. media. Oh, I'm sure. You know, when the, the Somewhere in the Rainbow has put it out there, we've put it out there. So we're going to have to do a post on this, so I'm going to have to get a picture of this and we'll put yeah. it on our social media. So that that's probably one of the funnest pieces I've built. There's certainly plenty of others. Um, the others are like this bracelet that I built which is um, made up of spinels. All, all these colored gemstones are spinels from different parts of the world that have different colors and uh, with diamonds on it. And uh, I mean, you can just feel the quality and craftsmanship of that. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty cool piece, pretty amazing piece. Um, so once again, unique, fun, a lot of jewelers wouldn't bring that out. It wouldn't take the chance to <laughs> no to, or, to, or, to build a piece like that because there's a lot of money that went into that piece. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like building spec homes, right? Yeah. That are that are kind of out there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like a lot of investment a from your side. Small audience. Yep. So but I just love color so much and it just, you know, so well and it shows your versatility. I will say on the positive side, yeah, there's some risk involved, but it shows people coming in for custom pieces, you know, that Randy can do it. And that's an incredible sapphire piece that I built. That piece did win an award, not with a sapphire in it, but a red spinel. So spinel is a, once again, like in the bracelet, these were, it was a vivid red spinel with spinels on the side. This piece is all sapphire. So the, the smaller diamond, or smaller blue stones on the side are sapphire. And then you can see on the inside of the ring, it's um, it's got 
pave diamonds on the inside, which is kind of unique rather than the outside of the ring. Um, kind of got that inspiration from a clamshell because it's got that same kind of shape to it, so to speak. And It's absolutely beautiful, and I see the price tag on there, but I'm not going to tell anyone. They'll <laughs> yeah. have to come in and visit you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you? I mean, speaking about that, for them to come in and get their yep. custom piece of jewelry, to follow you and see some of the craftsmanship you're doing sure. on social media. We're in uh, the shops at Casa Paloma at uh, Ray Road in the I-10, just east of the I-10. Uh, we're in a store right in the middle uh, by Grimaldi's. I'll give them a little pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a big Rolex clock in front of our store. And we'll be there for the next six months or so. And then we're going to move about three doors down into a 7,000-square-foot space. Good for you. And uh, expand our, 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 our ability to... Show to meet the items. demand of your clients. We'll have the largest uh, Rolex sh- uh, showroom in the in the state then. Great. And um, and what about the social media handles and website? Uh, coffinandtrout.com. And then I wish I could tell you. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. I'll look it up. We'll put it yeah. in our and show we're notes. We're on Instagram, we obviously. Yeah. Um, we're on And uh, I think Facebook. it is Coffin Trout Jewelers is yeah. the Instagram handle. So. Yeah. And Facebook's probably the same. So, uh, and then whatever the other social media that my son's got us into. <laughs> well, Randy, you're amazing. Thanks so much for sharing your insight yeah, on thanks, the industry Brad. and quality and everything you. else you're doing. Thank you very much. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.